Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of November 2010. I always advise newcomers, especially young people, to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and if you have the patience and time, you can help yourself to hundreds of audio talks I've given over the years where I try, really try and give you shortcuts to understanding this big new world order which you hear about all the time from all the official sources, they never really explain what they mean about it. They give you little bits and pieces, but they mean a world order, a complete new ordered way of living. That's what it means across the entire planet. And it also means, obviously, that the entire planet has to be standardized into a singular system with the same laws, rules, regulations, and even a new culture is to, be, is to really come out of it at the end of it. We're actually going through all of that right now and even had discussions back in the 60s as to decide which culture they would give the public of the world. And the CFR held the meeting in London with the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is their big daddy, and uh, decided that Hollywood and the music industry based in America would give the culture, the new culture across the world, which everyone would emulate. That has happened. It's pretty well happened. And the few cultures that haven't quite buckled under are getting taught right now with cluster bombs and stuff like that to give up their old culture, bring in a central bank, allow user to be used upon them, and join the world society. That's basically what's happening today. Now, remember too that it cost me a lot of money to keep this all going here. You'll see on the site at cuttingthroughthemeters.com, there's a whole bunch of sites I have up. I have to have these because I get trouble from the big boys occasionally and the main sites go down. So if you bookmark all these sites, you'll have the alternate ones to choose from, hopefully in case of emergency, and keep downloading as much as you can while we can put this stuff up because it will cease one day. It will definitely cease one day. We'll all be enemies of the world state if you don't go along with the the authorized way of uh, looking at it all under new, through new eyes, you see, and, and f- from a new voice, and you're all politically correct. And that's something some of us just can't do. Anyway, remember, too, that you can buy the books and so on to keep me going. That's all it does keep me going. If you notice, I don't bring on advertisers. And, uh, and that's really how hosts pay themselves, which is okay. That if it's a business, it's a business. But not for me. It's not a business. And uh, the, the ads you hear on the show are paid directly to RBN to pay for their time. And it costs them a lot of money to broadcast this show and to pay for the equipment and their staff. And and they have a lot of bills coming in too. That's how the world at the present certainly runs. So buy the books and so on from me at cuttingthroughmates.com and you can uh, you get a different take on history and the techniques that are used down through time to rule vast amounts of people. From the U.S., remember, you can use a personal check to order. You'll find it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, how to order and the cost and so on. You can also use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. 
Cash is fine. See, PayPal is fine to order or donate. If you want to use PayPal, just send the, the donation followed by an email and your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out right to you as fast as I can. Same across the rest of the world as Western Union, which is kind of steep. You can go down a bit and use uh, MoneyGram, which is a bit cheaper, and you can go cheaper still by, instead of wiring MoneyGram, just get the check from them and post it. It's a lot cheaper, and it'll take seven days to get to me. And again, PayPal can be used as well to order uh, by using the donation button on it, followed by an email. Now we're back with more after these messages on how the system works. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And, you know, we're talking as well about free trade. Free trade. Free trade was a big idea that John Dee came up with and Bacon also participated in the idea of a, a world that would eventually be standardized under a British-type system or a London-based or run system, going back to Queen Elizabeth I time, in fact, and that's when they coined the term, he coined the term, in fact, uh, the British Empire. Uh, an idea where free trade would dominate and they break down all trade barriers. And by doing so, they'd have an interdependent world, which meant really that no one was independent. And of course, that's great if you want to take over the planet. And that always was the plan, believe it or not. It's still going on. It's almost finished. Anyway, uh, that's what we've been living through. And wars were necessary, of course, to make this happen. World War I was awfully important to bring in the League of Nations and the guys, Milner, the Milner Group, uh, helped to bring that upon. They worked for four years and years to bring on a Second World War and they helped finance Hitler too to make sure it came about too through the Farben uh, organization, IG Farben. And that was, that became the war industry for Germany. It built them up in a very quick time. All the big boys, GM, Ford and so on. Uh, were involved in it. Rockefeller was involved with Standard Oil, and uh, they built up the big German war machine, something they don't want to talk about today. But they needed that to happen, to bring on a war, to create the, create the United Nations, the even bigger League of Nations, to further this global integration system that was planned an awful long time ago. As I say, free trade, all that stuff comes into it. And they would make massive trading blocks. That's why Karl Marx could talk about it in the 1800s with, with absolute certainty. That's the way it would go. And, of course, eventually you'd be under a world governmental system. Now, Japan, the far the Pacific Rim has been worked on as well. I've got the boots going back from the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs to the, to the 1930s. And they talked about the Pacific Rim and how they'd have to work for a long time on the Pacific region. They also said an upcoming war would be awfully handy to get Japan to to attack the U.S. and then bring the U.S. into this coming war, long before it happened, by the way. And that's in their own books, the writings. They discussed this in Melbourne, Australia, when they had a meeting there. And they got their wish, of course. They always get their wishes. It's strange that way. And um, eventually they, they bring it all under wraps. Now, they used a branch of the CFR, which they called the, the Pacific Rim, uh, the APEC leaders, or, uh, or, or APEC 
um, initiators, they call them initially, initiators. It was a branch of the CFR, and they put them in all the Far Eastern countries to, get, to work up into government, first as diplomats, and then from within those particular governments, uh, using native Australians, uh, New Zealanders, and even Japanese, and so on. Now, here's an article here to show you that I've finished off the Pacific Rim, because I had a big meeting recently, and this is what it says about it on November 14th. Although Asia-Pacific leaders have committed themselves to achieving a Pacific-wide free trade zone following an annual summit, uh, host Japan may prove a key test case for how realistic the vision is. Acknowledging that Japan's economic power is declining, Prime Minister Naoto Kan declared his country must open up its markets and embrace free trade or risk getting left further behind other regional rivals. That's what they told every country in Europe too. you got to join or you'll be left behind. You know, if you were left behind, by the way, you'd been out of the debt. You wouldn't have all that massive debt. You have to all share now, eh? Japan is determined to reopen itself, Can said at a press conference on Sunday that wound up the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum, allowing, uh, alluding to the historic role that Yokohama, which hosted the summit, played more than 150 years ago as one of the first Japanese ports to open up to the West. Did you ever see how that happened? Actual story. They sent in American warships and forced them to open up trade at gunpoint. That was the way it was done. Anyway, it says, uh, that bold declaration represents a change for Japan, which for decades had been ruled by a conservative administrations that were reluctant to engage in trade liberalization and were closely tied with farmers, their own farmers, who fiercely oppose lowering protective tariffs. Imported rice, for example, is subject to a 778% tariff. So that's why they're pretty healthy over there. They're not getting all that GM stuff, but that's out the window now. Now they'll get Rockefeller's gold and modified rice, no doubt, which also helps to sterilize you, according to the UN. Anyway, Japan and the other 20 members of APEC will face many such tough choices as they strive to execute their shared commitment. Shared commitment, there you go to free trade and greater regional integration. Integration, folks, for the harder thinking, as outlined in the leaders' communique uh, communique, uh, issued at the end of the weekend meeting. Their overarching goal is to work towards establishing a free trade area of the Asia-Pacific that would envelope all members from behemoth China and the U.S. to tiny Brunei and New Zealand, slashing tariffs and other barriers to imports and investments. The so-called FTAAP would cover half the world's global commerce and two-fifths of its trade. Can said the rough target date was total integration by 2020. They'll speed it all up, actually, and it'll be done long before that. That's so they don't terrify them with the rapid changes. But you see, interdependence means you can't be independent even in feeding yourself. And that's one of the big goals. And they claim, of course, the big boys at the top is to help stop wars and stuff. If you can't feed yourself, you can't have a war, you see. But they have all these reasons for their totalitarian plan. And remember, it's a very, very, very old plan. The Asia-Pacific region has left, uh, led the world's still weak recovery from the financial crisis, and the region's leaders are convinced that open markets are a sure way to ensure future growth. It's going to put a lot of farmers out of business. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it over there. It's done it everywhere else. And a massive bureaucracy telling you who can farm, who can't farm, and all that kind of stuff. But, well, that's it. You know, Japan, modern Japan, was set up as a temporary uh, engine, basically. Because during World uh, II, they had set up their post-war plans for Japan after they would demolish it 
And they knew they were going to demolish it because what they always do in wartime is demolish the countries and the cities where they want to build um, brand new cities and new factories and all that. They had big, big plans for Japan. So war is partly a, a demolition job. And so you get rid of all the old structures. And they had the, the cities, the modern cities, all drafted up before they moved in with the troops to take it over. And sure enough, uh, the Hopkins plan, it was called too, using the Marshall plan, pumped the money into Japan. And they set them up to be the electronics manufacturers for the planet for a while. They were also the guys set up as a proxy because their government really were, were worked as a banker to lend the money out for business. Uh, and this was all under the, the so-called guidance of the U.S., or I should say the bankers of the U.S. also ran the U.S. But anyway, the Hopkins idea uh, was, that was to work in a sense that it would keep buying the debt of the U.S. And you heard for years that Japan held the debt for the U.S. They would buy the debt. Now it's China that's buying the debt, so Japan has to go down. It's time it merged into this big conglomerate. And they've also to open their doors, by the way, to mass immigration for the first time. So you can't have a homogenous people anymore in this world system, at least for everybody except one, and that's the way it's to be. Simple as that. Free trades, the new world order, and interdependence, meaning you have no independence at all, not even to feed yourself. Remember, they said at the United Nations, when they dole out the food to the world and to the regions of the world, uh, they'll force you to keep down your population and, of course, what they'll do, by rationing it out to you, by the way, and eventually they'll give you lower and lower rations by telling you it's bad weather, no climate change, stuff like that. And you have to find a way to bring down your population even faster. It's your problem. I'm not kidding you. I've got all the, all the articles here. You think it's a nice, lovely, cozy world you're going into? Tough cheese, because you have no idea what's coming down. It's run, it's run with the same bureaucraties, language, and silly craziness as the Soviet system was run. Because the same boys that gave them the Soviet system is running this. That's why. That's why. And of course, everyone's upset about the, in the U.S. about the FDA food safety bill, which is going through the Senate uh, this week. It's, in, it's on right now. And um, it's going to really go into all kinds of food that you're allowed to get and so on. But also into, can you even grow uh, garden food for yourself and so on. It would also give governments access to your kitchen because literally it says that any place that prepares food doesn't mean just commercial places. That means any place is any place, right? That's your own kitchen too. They can come in and inspect and all this kind of stuff. I'll put these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. But I just wanted to mention that, how you would be interdependent and get used to Big Brother in this great world society, this champion of freedoms, as they call it, and... Uh, it's so Orwellian with double think. It's just amazing that people can believe in it at all. Truly is. Truly, truly is. Now, part of getting a people down into the gutter for control is to dehumanize them and destroy their cultures and all this good and wholesome in their cultures that kept them together as a, a peaceful, happy culture where everyone knew the basic rules. And you didn't need massive... Uh, police forces to take care of things. Everyone knew the rules. You always degenerate them. And that's happened in the West. I've read the report from the military, the, the US, uh, from the US own, uh, their own website, from their own magazine that said they'd push the American culture, which is degenerate, they said, across the whole world 
Well, why is that? It's because, you see, people who become degenerate have nothing to stand up for. There's nothing clean in them anymore to stand up for anything at all, like a clean idea. And Germany is in for the big boot now because there are people who still hate Germany and it's got to be brought down. Now they're, they're rattling a little bits in anger on what's happening over there. Uh, and they don't want total integ- integration. They've only had a little bit of freedom for a little while when the wall came down and all that stuff on cue, of course. And they're getting rather, rather ticked off. It's being ruled by a little place called Brussels and paying everybody else's debts. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And just before I go into the story about Germany and how they're going to bring them down further with degradation, even further than most countries, because a lot of folks still hate Germany, you know. Anyway, um, I should go back to the Pacific Rim group because the CFR created the, the Institute for Pacific Relations. Uh, that was one of the groups. It was a front for the CFR to integrate them all, work through a 20, 30-year plan to get them all ready for integration into this big world system. So they had, had a couple of front uh, groups, and you could read that in Carl Quigley's Tragedy and Hope from the records that he took from the Council of Foreign Relations themselves. He was the official historian for them. So they were front groups, and uh, they worked for years and years and years to bring this all about, this, this grouping of there. So, and, of course, they also had their group working for the, the unification of Europe, too, and the unification of the Americas, still ongoing in America. Now, back to Germany. As I say, there are certain people who just, just don't like Germany at all. They've got an awful... Um, thing about it, and they, don't, they want to totally degrade them further in case they get any ideas of um, being German again. And it says here, uh, Berlin, July the 30th, 2007. I read, I read this at the time, but this is ongoing, by the way. Booklets from a subsidiary of the German government's Ministry for Family Affairs. This is from the Ministry of Family Affairs, right? Over in the big Sovietized system, they call Europe. You have a ministry for family affairs. You have ministries for everything. You know. Encourage parents to sexually massage their children as young as one to three years of age. I read this at a time in, in collusion with the, the United Nations pamphlet they put out, the booklet they put out on the same thing. They wanted communal masturbation in schools. And that's a fact. That's a fact. They dished that out across the states too in different places as well. Anyway, two 40-page booklets entitled Love, Body and Playing Doctor by German Federal Health Education Center uh, are aimed at parents, the first addressing children from one to three and the other children from four to six years of age. Fathers do not devote enough attention to the clitoris and vagina of their daughters, it says. Their caresses too seldom pertain to these regions. Well, this is the only way the girls can develop a sense of pride in their sex, reads the booklet regarding one to three-year-olds. The author's um, rationalized, the child touches all parts of their father's body, sometimes arousing him. The father should do the same. I'm not kidding. This is what they're promoting. And this comes, by the way, just mention it here, but it's from the United Nations. This is Canadian author and public speaker Michael O'Brien, who has written and spoken extensively about the crisis of culture in the West, spoke to LifeSet News.com 
about the shocking and extremely disturbing phenomenon. It is, he said, state-encouraged incest, and of course it is, which in most civilized societies is a crime. The development is, he suggests, a natural outcome of the rejection of religion, he goes on to say, which gave a moral order. The imposed social revolution that has swept the Western world is moving to a new stage as it works out the logical sequences of its view of man's value, said O'Brien. It's merely obeying a strictly materialistic philosophy of man. If man is no more than a creature created for pleasure or power, if he's no more than a cell in the social organism, then no, there's no moral standards, no psychological truths, no spiritual truths that can refute the will to power and the will to pleasure. And this goes on and on and on on what parents should do and should not do and so on. You can read it for yourself. I'll put it up on the site for you, and uh, you can read it for yourself. That's, uh, and I know where it's all coming from, too, and the reasons behind it, but uh, you don't, I'm sure, unless you do your homework, and you should do your homework. Now, you understand that the whole training you're going through is for the new system. The children at school... Uh, have all gone through the, the body searches sometimes, definitely gone through the, the, de- the detectors to detect anything that they may have. They've had raids in their lockers to check they didn't have anything hidden. And we've seen all the ridiculous stories of having a pair of um, nail clippers and stuff at school can get you in trouble and all that kind of stuff. They were trained for, for before the year 2001, for the year 2001, and for, for what was to happen afterwards with all this scanning technology and so on. And this one here talks about technology identifies troubled individuals. And September 26, 2010. Imagine using the same technology to locate a lone bomber before he carries out his terrorist act and to identify a troubled veteran or first responder ground down by tragedies and violence. Some 120 local first responders from law enforcement and other agencies, the military and mental health professionals gathered Friday to hear firsthand about an advanced computer program that can accomplish those two seemingly different tasks or difficult tasks. Uh, the presentation was part of the International First Responder, they call it, Military Symposium. I mentioned this before, held at Hilbert College in the town of Hamburg. A Swiss professor working with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology scientist who heads the Mind Machine Project, the Mind Machine Project, folks, there outlined how this program operates through computerized scanning of phone calls and electronic messages sent through email and social networking mechanisms. Supposing you know there's a threat to the president when he is visiting, say, Texas, uh, the information obtained by the National Security Agency, or through them we have the tools to go through huge quantities of data obtained from that area, said Professor Matthew Goodyear of the University of Geneva. How the computer system detects resentment in conversations. I told you about this ages ago that we had a resentment uh, meter, there were actually uh, computers are actually putting all this data into, to measurements and decibels and other voice biometrics, he said. It detects obsessiveness with the individual going back to the same topic over and over, measuring crescendos. So we keep mentioning the same thing over and over. You've got a fixation on it, maybe like ice cream or something, you know, when it's a really hot day. And then they get a SWAT team coming in the window to, to maybe cool you off even in a different way. Back with more after this. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through that old matrix there and talking about the brave new world we're coming into, a brave new world planned an awful long time ago. And that's why they have all the details working today. They're not working them out as you go along. They had them all worked before you were born. They knew exactly where they'd be at this time and what part they'd be implementing at this time. They knew when the bank crash was going to happen because they planned it that way. They bring in austerity and the sharing of wealth across the planet, or as Karl Marx said, the redistribution of wealth. Uh, you see, they never change their plans, these boys, and then they always get what they want. It's only because they have an ignorant public that's, that acquiesces to their own darn governments, which aren't their governments at all, and uh, don't say boo. They're too happy being entertained and being degenerated to, to bother. When you degenerate, you don't care. You're out partying and looking for... You're a predator, basically, on your own species. Some, some more on their own species than others, of course. It depends what gender you go for. However, that's how they are today. Totally degenerate society, and that's a culture that's been given to them. Now... I've mentioned, we're talking about that emotional detector and so on. Uh, they're doing that, they've been doing that for years to find out who's who, saying what and so on. Uh, certain words crop up too many times in a conversation and you're labeled immediately as this, that or the other, you know. You know that too. The Enchilin was doing that years ago. So, but they've really stepped it up. And uh, they were doing far, far more um, in-depth investigations years ago than they let on about. They know who everybody is. They've got personality profiles built upon everyone. And they know who you are, how you think, how you tick. They know your habits, who you call, when you call them, what little groups you go and belong to, even what books you, you read from a library. They know everything about you. And you're very predictable because of that. Very predictable. And it really helps them too with Facebooks and all the idiots who put all their stuff up there as though it was an open diary of their lives. They love that kind of stuff. And that's why they gave it to you, of course. Don't think for a second these little front men that pretend to own them uh, really came out with this, these ideas themselves and did it all by their little old selves any more than Bill Gates did. It's all part of the big security world system and the Pentagon. But this was all in Brazil, the movie Brazil, a comedy. It's so, so great to see someone who can put everything in a comedy and get so much across without the comebacks you would have if it was a straight movie or a straight documentary or something uh, by all the critics. In a comedy, you can get away with an awful lot. And Terry Gilliam certainly did a lot of that stuff in the movie Brazil, showed you a future where you'd have uh, the SWAT teams cutting holes in the roof, just grabbing people and snuffing them. Uh, they disappear, and your world would be run by bureaucrats and scientists. That's who would run your whole lives. And they would do their scientific tortures on, on different people and then dispose of them. They're a massive ministry of information retrieval. That's the biggest building of all, massive security. And each time you walked into the building, robots would just rush up to you and sniff you and check your irises and all the rest of it. I'm not kidding. And here you go. It's got some um, high-tech eye scanners that track passengers as they walk through airport, go on trial in, in the UK. They always start off in the UK because they're the most docile people ever beaten down. <laughs> and by, have they been beaten down over such a long time? Uh, they're in shell shock, actually. Anyway, 
uh, I've touched on it before, but I've never read the actual, the actual article to you. It says, passengers will have their eyes scanned as soon as they check in as part of a new trial, a major UK airport says. The high-tech machines can recognize an individual's iris as they walk around and will be installed at Manchester Airport at check-in during the government-backed pilot. This is a pilot run for all of them, as you well know. The technology has the potential to overhaul security and customs with airport bosses, hoping it could help the fight against terrorism. Just like the movie Brazil, go and see, gotta see the movie. There's always bombs going off in, in the movie Brazil, but no one ever sees a terrorist. It's awful essential for the system to have this terrorism going on. So, of course, the government are the terrorists. They've done this before. Anyway, that's one. But there's a link as well I'm going to put up, and it's to do with the sniffer. You see the sniffer in the, in the robot in Brazil. It comes up to you and it sniffs you all over. Well, they've got a sniffer dog, a new, a new mechanical sniffer dog to do that as well at the airports too. They're trying that in Glasgow first for the rest of the country to follow. And it'll come up and <laughs> sniff away at you, you see. And, and what it does is apparently is use little uh, laser injections into your clothing and stuff, searching for different stuff. And it detects different, uh, different chemicals or whatever, maybe even the cleaning stuff that you use on your clothes. And I, I guess a dog will maybe bite your head off if, you've, if it detects any of this stuff on you. Who knows what it's going to do? But it's just like Brazil. Because they, they, Terry Gilliam, he mixed with the right guys. He knew it was coming down a long time ago. I think the movie was done in the 80s. Got to see it. You got to see it. So as I say, you know, good luck to all those who get their iris scanned and help uh, to promote this for the rest of the public. They don't go on air travel because they'll eventually use that across the board for everything. You know darn well it's all coming down. It's not all the sci-fi movies that are predictive programming. You'll see all that stuff. Been in there for years. And uh, everybody's got used to the idea of it coming through fiction. That's how it's always how they promote it. You see? Now, in the U.S., they've already heard about Britain and its commutarian policy. They call it the big society. And they already have the big organizations in action now, the non-governmental organizations, working out the, what they call the, the devaluation of power down to regions where towns are amalgamated and so on. And you have local commissar boards, you see. Uh, just like the Soviet Union, this is a more perfect Soviet Union. It really is, because the Soviet Union meant rule by councils. That's what Soviet means. And that's what you're having in Britain and across Europe and eventually into America too. And they say, well, it's not coming to America. We're still American. We're still paying for the wars. And yeah, yeah, yeah you are. But you already have the, the three people in top positions in the U.S. They've been working with the last few presidents to bring in commutarianism in America. And you have to find out who they are. One is uh, Amitel, or Amitse Etzioni. That is one of them. And I looked him up. Then there's Mary Ann, um, I think Mary Ann Glendon is another one. And William Galston is the other one. The three of them that are bringing in communitarianism for America for, for the near future, by the way, in case you didn't know. And it gives a, a rundown on who these particular people are. And uh, I looked at them. It's quite interesting to see their communist-type background. They have other things in common apart from communism, which is, is not so surprising. But one of the leaders who works with the presidents is called Amitai Etzioni. This is his name in the U.S., he was only four years old when the Nazis rose to power in Germany, separated from his family but remained with them. 
uh, reunited with him in the year 1947. He lived a year in Athens, went to Palestine, lived in a cooperative farm, and went to boarding school. In 1950, he was enrolled in a special academic institute by uh, Martin Buber after having dropped out of 10th grade three years earlier to join Palmach, an elite commando unit of the Haganah. In 1951, he attended Hebrew University, where he studied classical and contemporary works in sociology, yada, yada, yada. So he was really an Israeli, you see. And um, he changed his name later on uh, from his original name. And uh, it sounds much better, Etzioni. Etzioni has got a thing to it, you see. And he worked in all the big universities, the usual ones. Uh, joined the Brookings Institution, big, par- uh, powerful think tank. And then he was an advisor to the White House from 79 to 80. In 1980, he was named the first university professor at the George Washington University, where he currently serves as the director for the Institute for Communitarian Policy Studies. You didn't know they were getting taught that in university? Yep, they have been getting taught communitarian policy studies from the 1980s onwards. He leads the Communitarian Network, a non-profit, of course, non-partisan organization, which is dedicated to support the moral, social, and political foundations of society. Oh, really? It's based in Washington, D.C. He also held a faculty position at Harvard Business School from 87 to 1990, serving as the Thomas Henry Carroll Ford Foundation professor. Etzioni is known for his work on socioeconomics and communitarianism, the founder of the communitarian movement, in the early 1990s and established the Communitarian Network to disseminate the movement's ideas. His writings emphasize the importance for all societies of a carefully crafted balance between rights and responsibilities and between autonomy and order. They want order, you see. So it's, it's rather interesting as to who these guys actually actually are. So it, it, it labels him actually as a German-Israeli-American sociologist, so you can take your, your pick. His real name he was born with was uh, uh, Werner Falk. So that's one of the big boys who have been bringing it into the U.S. for you, in case you didn't know, and churning out lots of students who are working quietly behind the scenes in the U.S. at present, just as they have been with common purpose in Britain for years as well, for the European Union and communitarianism. And then there's Mary Ann Glendon. So she was born in 1938, and um, she she learned international law, human rights, and all the usual stuff too. Uh, Pittsford, Massachusetts. She came from a professor of law at Harvard Law School, pro-life uh, feminist, and uh, she's worked with uh, the different presidents, including President George Bush. And um, she says here that the author of the rights chalk, uh, the right chalk a nation under lawyers and a world made new. These are some of her books. Eleanor Roosevelt was one of her heroes, you know, the, the person who loved Pavlov, as, as she said in her own biography, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Eleanor Roosevelt is quite a fascinating person, if that's what we'll call it. And um, she actually said in her own memoirs that she, she went to Russia, especially to see Pavlov, who was her hero. And she, she, and she wanted to see how his, his, his ideas for indoctrinating the youths, how it worked. And she was awfully impressed by what she saw were orderly lines of school children very quietly going along the road uh, and um, staying on the sidewalks and so on. She says, so different from the Americans who had a bit of spirit and were lively and chatty and so on and laughter. She says, but she, she preferred the Soviet model for their orderliness. They were so orderly, you see. 
and that's what impressed dear old Eleanor Roosevelt. So that was the hero of this woman who's bringing in your communitarianism, Soviet system in America, along with some others. Anyway, she also had to, she, so these people are given specific areas to work on, you understand, and infiltrate too, and even become the heads of. Uh, she was a signer of evangelicals and Catholics together, an ecumenical document aimed at rapprochement between Catholics and evangelicals. Uh, Glendon became the first female president of the Roman Catholic Church's Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences when she was appointed by Pope John Paul II on March the 9th, 2004. She was already a member of the Academy since January the 9th, 1994. In 95, she was the, uh, the Vatican representative to the International 95 Beijing Conference on Women. I don't know if you've ever read about that. That was quite the conference. There were so many lesbians there. They had a big, massive lesbian parties in the streets. Kind of shocked the Chinese. Anyway, sponsored by the United Nations, where she contested the anti-condom declarations for the pre- prevention of HIV and AIDS. The Holy See doesn't endorse it, she says, blah, blah. Anyway, the National Law Journal named her one of the, the 50 most influential women lawyers in America in 98. And she worked for Bush, and she was the President's Council on Bioethics. Bioethics, remember, is this big scientific body who have decided what the new ethics are for the new life. You know, should we kill folk, euthanize them? How many babies should we terminate every year? You know, keep the population, all that stuff, you know. What's, what's ethical? Um, is it ethical to sell body parts of babies, make a profit off them? Which, of course, they all agree, yes. It's a big, big business. Stuff like that. And we don't need normality or people involved anymore. We've got bioethicists who tell us that they're the ones who are in charge of our emotions and our consciences. It's not bad having a, a, a kind of proxy conscience now, eh? You don't have to do and worry about anything. So anyway, that's another one. And then William Galson, quite an, an interesting guy. A political theorist, he's, he is the sole one Stern Professor of Civic Engagement and the Director of the Institute of Philosophy and Public Policy at the School of Public Policy of University of Maryland, College Park. In addition, he's a Senior Fellow of Governance. Governance, very important word, I touched on that last night, of soft power, how you go around uh, official government policies See, government has to answer to the public, technically, even though they don't. And uh, governments bypasses that. They, have, they don't have to be responsible to the public at all. They just make sure that the, the government eventually signs agreements which they pass into law and govern the public, you see. And so the senior fellow of governance at the Brookings Institution. He was also a senior advisor to President of the United States, Bill Clinton, on domestic policy and also employed by the presidential campaigns of Al Gore and Walter Mondale. Since 1995, Galston has served as a founding member of the board of the National Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy and as chair of the campaign's task force on religion and public values. He previously taught in the Department of Government at the University of Texas, Austin. And he's written different uh, articles and works such as Pluralism and Policy Issues in Liberal Society. Uh, he, he's the big one, though. He was a student and classicist and political philosopher of Leo Strauss. Leo Strauss. This is the guy that was a Nazi in Germany and, of course, a liberal in America. And he's a Jewish Nazi. Amazing. And he's the guy who came up with the whole New American Century idea, the guy that trained Wolfowitz and and, uh, McCain and all these guys. He wanted to go across the world forcing democracy on people by invading them. They called it liberation uh, uh, theology, in a sense. Democracy, liberation democracy by forcing wars on people and destroying their culture, like Iraq and Iran and so on. 
and forcing them into the standardized system. Quite a history, this guy, Leo Strauss. Quite a guy. <laughs> Quite a guy. And people don't even know that. Lots of Jews were actually Nazis. And at the beginning, in the 30s, an awful lot of Jews were Nazis. It wasn't until the 30s see the sites turning on them that they, they ran off to the States, but they carried the, the Nazi philosophy with them because they, they liked the idea of special people, superior types and stuff like that. Interesting, yeah? Anyway, he's your third character who is in charge of communitarianism for Americans. And Americans haven't a clue that it's even coming their way. They've already set up places in the U.S. that are doing and practicing communitarianism and regionalism. And I've touched on a couple of them before, not so long ago. What... What I'm trying to show you is that every big thing that's happening, a major thing that's happening, in fact, almost everything that's happening about you is done by the strange soft power of non-governmental organizations and foundations which have a semi-official backing, but you don't vote them in. You don't vote them in, folks. This is a new scientific way of governance. Scientific governance. That's not responsible to the public. You don't get a chance to say, well, I don't want the Brookings Institution to have anything to do with me. I'm not voting them in. Well, you don't because you've never voted them in in the first place. And these characters get appointed to, by the president to his board of scientific advisors or bioethics advisors and so on. Appointees. That's the new public-private policy, you see. You've got to really get into your homework and find out what's really going on and what it really, really is all about. We'll be back with more now after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. You've got to wail once in a while and I like the guitar wailing on there. It's very appropriate. I'm just going to finish tonight by, if I've got time, to add one of the big players who has set up this present system. He's dead now, but he was one of the big movers, went to all the big top think tanks, world meetings, worked with the U.S. to bring in the U.S. system as well. And that was Lord Bertrand Russell, who again worked, he worked jointly with the MI5, MI6 and uh, the CIA. Uh, during World War II and afterwards, and he was a big player in pushing this world society uh, because he used a lot of scientists in it, you see. And he wrote a book called The Impact of Science on Society. And this is what he says, we want to bring in this new collectivist society run by uh, professional scientists. That's, that's the whole key to it, you see. It says, the good of the multitude is a sum of the, ho- of the goods of the individuals composing it. It's not a new and separate good. In concrete fact, when it is pretended that the state has a good different from that of the citizen, what is really meant is that the good of the government or of the ruling class is more important than that of other people. Such a view can have no basis except in arbitrary power. 
More important than these metaphysical speculations is a question whether a scientific dictatorship such as we have been considering, and it's here now, folks, can be stable or is more likely to be stable than a democracy. Apart from the danger of war, I see no reason why such a regime should be unstable. After all, most civilized and semi-civilized countries known to history have had a large class of slaves or serfs completely subordinate to their owners. There's nothing in human nature that makes the persistence of such a system impossible. I hope you're thinking and listening about this. For the harder thinking, I should really repeat that, but I hope you heard it. These are the guys that are running this world. They bring in this system. He worked for the big institutions I've mentioned to you. And the whole development of scientific technique has made it easier than it used to be to maintain a despotic rule of a minority over the majority. When the government controls the distribution of food, hmm? we're talking about recently, its power is absolute so long as it can count on the police, and you've got armies of police now, and the armed forces. And their loyalty can be secured by giving them some of the privileges of their governing class. I do not see how any internal movement of re- or revolts can ever bring freedom to the oppressed in a modern scientific dictatorship. That's what you're getting brought up into now. And in, on page 67, that was page 66, he says at the bottom, For these various reasons, I do not believe that dictatorship is a lasting form of scientific society, Unless, but this provision is important, it can become worldwide. It must be a scientific dictatorship on a worldwide basis, which can only happen if you have a standardized culture across the world, the same system across the entire planet. And that guy took part in every major world think tank to to help set up the formula that was used prior to World War II, during and after World War II, right up into the 80s and 90s. And it's still on the go today, those same parts, because it's a timetable they go by, and he worked on the plans for over a 100 years to come, along with other big famous players and big famous names. You are living through a script. Your whole life is going through a script and all the big changes and the wars and everything else that you hear are part of the script, folks, including 2001, the towers going down, and the they need to keep you all safe by taking every right and freedom away. But listen to the experts, as Russell said, because scientific experts will rule your lives, and by God, they do. Yeah, and you don't elect them, isn't that nice? Welcome to the new freedom. That's what it meant the new freedom. From here to myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>